SMBSD family, thank you once again for joining us on the TNL Bulletin uh, podcast. And we're back. The DEI crew is back once again. You've heard uh, our last episode. We really gave you an idea of what DEI, which is diversity, equity, and inclusion, what DEI is, what it's not, and an overview of who we are and, and what's happening in the district. We want to get a little bit deeper now, more specific with our guests and the Again, we have Stephanie Gary, Mariana Carbone, and Amanda David, who goes by Mandy, um, all here again to really speak to specific things about disrupting inequities. We're going to talk about the impactful experience, at least one, that they've each had through DEI, and then looking ahead to the 2022-2023 school year and what DEI has in store for the district and how, once again, you all can be part of that. And let's start with these inequities. So in the last episode, we discussed that there are inequities all across Santa Maria Bonita and how we are going about disrupting them. There were some examples even given within the classroom. But what does it mean to you to disrupt the inequities that you see? Let's, let's think about it purely from the school perspective or, or district perspective as well. What does it mean to you to disrupt these inequities. Last episode, Mandy was discussing school talk and how a lot of what we have done in the DEI cohort has been practicing conversations, examining our own perspectives and potential biases that we have. And how do you speak up? How do you even kind of acknowledge where you're coming from, right? Um, and so I know that has been my own personal experience is really finding, take a deep breath and respond to sometimes administrators, sometimes colleagues or um, students' families. And a big part of disrupting the inequity is, you know, bringing light to it, right? Um, acknowledging that it exists and and saying something, right? And being willing to have a conversation with somebody about it. Yeah, I think I, I agree with Stephanie. I think a lot of um, disrupting is on the interpersonal, I don't know, stage, platform, whatever you, <laughs> however you envision that. Um, because a lot of it does have to do with the ways that people are um, speaking about others um, and how maybe that language needs to change or shift uh, in some way. Uh, but I also think it, for me, disrupting inequities um, is more at a systemic level. And I think part of the reason why I focus so much on the systemic level is because as a young Black woman, me disrupting people interpersonally can get me in big trouble <laughs> uh, because I, I come off unintentionally. I know, I know it's not, not necessarily um, people's intentions to be upset with me, but it, it has happened many times before. Um, and so interpersonal disruption is a little bit harder for me uh, because I have to think about my own well-being. And sometimes I have to think about, am I going to get fired for saying that? Um, mm -hmm. It's just, just the reality. I live. So um, I like to look at disrupting equity more from a systemic level. Like why are those mindsets even there in the first place? So when we have grading policies that are like, you have this cut point and this cut point, if you don't meet 
said cut point, then you are at risk for retention. Like, how does that policy inform our mindset on a student? Um, in kindergarten this year, I had to look at the cut points for letter names and sounds. And if they knew half of the letter names and sounds, they were quote unquote at risk for retention. Um, but they just started school. So how could they be at risk for retention? It's, it's not their fault of any, anything. Uh, we're just putting kids in these boxes. And then that creates a mindset with the teachers that, well, that child's failing because they didn't meet some arbitrary cut point. Um, and so I like to bring that to the forefront when talking about grading and PLCs or when talking about um, our policies during staff meetings. I'm the one who's like, but how is this system affecting our mindset towards, towards students? Um, I think you and I think I'm sorry, Mariana. I, I think you bring up a great point because it's the micro versus the macro. You know, the interpersonal piece. Absolutely, I think that is dare I say the the clearest or easiest to understand is is how we're impacting individual people, and what you're saying is that is a much larger piece. I mean, data alone. How is data, or how are the systems in place to get that data inequitable? towards students you're absolutely right a student who just started how can we possibly see anything about that student's learning or anything else when they're just starting and there's so many factors involved with that but how powerful is it that we are making and and let's call it what it is a judgment on a student based on what's happening that day when we don't know any number of things could have been happening with that student that particular day and of course that breeds into a whole lot of other conversations, including standardized testing. Don't get me started. But <laughs> there's a lot that goes into that that I agree. I think it needs to be looked at really with an intentional eye and something that, again, it becomes about fairness and, and, and equity um, and addressing those things. Now, speaking of data, Mandy, you wanted to touch on some data and how you're addressing inequities with that. Right. When I when I look at inequity, I I wonder do I even know what the inequities are, you know, as a, as a white teacher in a, in a school, I, and I'm not even a parent, I'm like, do I know the inequities? And so something that I found interesting is looking at um, the panorama data for our site and looking through what are, what are students saying first about the educational system? What are families, what are parents saying? What are teachers saying? This can tell a lot, um, paint a, a big picture for us and what are the inequities at our site, in our district, for in our community, for our parents. Um, and especially important, in my opinion, is getting our Mixteco population included on those, those surveys, reaching out to them. Does it need to be a phone call? Does it need to be going to homes? Does it need to be bringing families in um, to really ensure that if we are asking for data and gathering data, that we're getting the data that we need so that when we jump into these conversations in the DEI cohort um, about inequity and how we're going to work to fight the inequities or disrupt them, um, that we have the, the data that we need and we, we know what we're fighting. <laughs> I, I couldn't agree more. And, and, and just to bring clarification for those listening who maybe are wondering why specifically the Nisteco families, Nisteco is a, is a spoken, excuse me, a spoken language. It's not a written language. So when you're taking a panorama survey, which is online, 
was first of all, that's a piece right there, right? That it's online and we're assuming a lot, including access, but also it's something that needs to be read. In some cases there are written responses, uh, whether it's, uh, you know, short sentences or, or open responses. There's an equity there because some of the families don't have a written language or may not be literate in English or even Spanish, or it could be something even completely different. Uh, we know that there are families that speak any number of languages besides uh, Spanish, of course, being the predominant one here in our community and, and Misteco uh, coming up after that. So absolutely, even something like a survey, we always have to think about, are we being equitable? Are we reaching everyone when we do these things? And if not, to your point, how do we do that? You know, how do we reach them? And I think that's a great insight. So these are fantastic ways to address the inequities, but also to have the conversations. I think that even if it's not being addressed, those conversations are so important to have, um, including things like our empathy interviews that we've had with students. And we started to bring those is how powerful it is to sit down with a student and just ask them questions, ask them questions about their identity or who they are, or how they're experiencing schools. And in the previous episode, Mariana brought up the point about the six and seven-year-olds who are noticing things on them on their own about her being the only black teacher at the site, how profound that is. And imagine if you continue to speak to them about that, I know Mariana did, which led to uh, a flyer being created and going out to families. That simple act of just leaning into it can, can really help out in terms of disrupting the inequities. So, and we're doing that, we're seeing that with our uh, LGBTQ plus communities and having their involvement and sense of belonging. I know at the junior high level, there was some work doing, you know, with clubs and really having them feel protected and feel safe uh, expressing themselves. So there's a lot of that work happening as well, um, all in an effort to address the inequities that are happening and to really disrupt as well. And these are very important, profound things. Now, speaking of which, let's get a little more personal regarding DEI. Now, I know that the three of you here and all throughout the cohort, there have been some profound experiences and impactful things that have happened either with you or with someone else, or maybe as a group, or maybe later on you thought about something that was like, wow, what was one of the most, I won't even say the most, because of course we, we can go a lot of different places, but what was one of the most important or impactful experiences that you've had you know, as a result of your learning or a result of your practice with DEI? So this year we started with um, reading Culturally Responsive Teaching in the Brain by Zaretta Hammond. And we talked a lot in the cohort and then also at the site level about the learning pit and this idea that learning is really challenging for most many learners that um, it starts like, yes, I can totally learn. I can do this. And then you get into this pit where it's like, I'm done. I want to quit. I am and I'm done. And a lot of students get stuck in this pit and they can't get out. And we'll see that in the classroom, especially with more rigorous curriculum um, coming into our classrooms. We we're seeing them. They're just like, we're done. I'm stopping here. I'm good. I am not going up that hill. Um, and this year I, I showed them my book. I opened up my book and I said, this is the learning pit. We're learning about this as teachers and that some of us are right here right now. We're stuck in that pit. I hear I quit. I hear I'm done. Um, but it's time to start climbing up and you'll you need to say things and 
and encourage yourself, thinking to yourself, how can I help myself? Um, I need to try this again. And as you go up, I think I'm getting it. And finally, to the end, Eureka, I've got it. Um, and I think it's very impactful to, to show students what you're learning and show them that you're yourself being a lifelong learner um, and that you're using data to teach them. I thought it was so impactful for them to, to know that, hey, there's there's research on how you learn and I'm I'm trying and I'm doing my best to support support you in that. So um, that's been very impactful for me this year. Um, I think for me as well, my my example is from um, Zaretta Hammond, CRT in the brain. Um, I gave a presentation to my staff about microaggressions uh, because although Zaretta Hammond does a great job of defining it, though I, I found it important to um, kind of go a little bit deeper with what a microaggression is because we say the word and we think that we know what it is, but not realizing that we we perform them every day on a regular basis. Um, I find myself in microaggressions uh, very often because it's just it's just a part of the way that we're conditioned um, if we hold certain positions of power. Um, but I presented the power wheel to my staff, which um, basically states what your identity is and where are you in relationship to power in those identities. So for myself, I'm a native English speaker, so I hold a lot more power than someone who is just learning English or has doesn't know um, very much English. I have a certain level of power there. Um, and what are the ways that I myself am engaging in microaggressions that limit that person's power even more and positions me to hold more power even more? Um, but then taking a step further, how do we flip that? As someone who holds that power, how am I helping someone who has less power come up to the same level that I, that I am? Um, and I felt like it was a really impactful understanding of what microaggressions are um, amongst the staff. I got, I got a lot of really good feedback. Um, people still to this day send me emails, is this a microaggression? <laughs> I think it is. How do I, how do I solve it? I want to do, how do I look at it differently? And, and I don't mind helping as I'm a teacher. <laughs> so what I, I love to do and I love drop knowledge. So of course, like if anyone emails me with a question, I, I'm going to answer it. Um, but it also was an, an opportunity for me to, to show people that yes, I am a black American and I have a lot of oppressive systems against me but I also hold a lot of privilege um, amongst that. And it's not the only thing that, that defines me. And I, I felt a lot more connected to the staff members after sharing that. And I feel like a lot of staff members opened their eyes like, oh yeah, she's not just a black person. Like, there's so many other things uh, that, that comes along with her. And, and like I said in the last episode, it's just very healing work. And I was able to, um, step a lot step out of my shell a lot more because of the experience that i had with with my staff this year so shout out to humanists <laughs> <laughs> and, and i think i think you uh you brought up a couple of of great points one is that you are willing to help and, and people come to you which i think is an encouraging aspect of all this is when people ask questions one is because they're being vulnerable enough to do it 
which is huge for some people, is to even come and say, is this bad or I think this is or whatever. And, and I think that's powerful, but also that you recognize those areas for which you have power. And I think that's also encouraging. And I think that's a great model for others instead of saying, oh, woe is me. And it's always oppression, oppression, oppression. There are areas that I do have power and I'm willing to help. I think that will also tip the scale to get people to see we all have that. We all have areas for which we're powerful versus where we're oppressed. And how do we navigate those things so that we, we can all help each other out, which I think were great points. Stephanie, what was an impactful uh, moment or, or learning for you? It's so impactful to teach our students about their brain and how it works. And, um, you know, take that knowledge, like Mandy was saying, that as an educator, here are the things that I'm learning, that I'm using in my teaching and my, you know, classroom and interactions and all of that. But um, sharing that knowledge with the students so that they, they can make it their own, right? That they can take that on. It's not, I am, I am not the gatekeeper, right? Like I don't hold all of the knowledge. I'm, I'm here to facilitate and to um, encourage, right? And lean in. Um, so we spent a lot of time learning about, learning about um, the brain and how it works and how, um, what are different things that affect it and how does it respond and, and all of that. And when you do that, it comes up throughout the year, right? And they revisit and they will comment on it and they bring it back. Um, and it does, you know, it relates to that growth mindset where if they can understand their brain, um, if you can help them to understand their brain, they they are more gentle with themselves, right? And and like Mariana was saying, this work is very healing personally, you know, from a personal standpoint. It's been helpful for me over the years to learn about how my brain works and how how learning happens, you know, what is that cognition? And so if you can pass that on to your students, um, it just is so impactful and so beautiful to see in the classroom for them to really, you know, is that student centered? They take it on, you know, they they take on the responsibility for their own learning if you can help them to learn about it. Absolutely, and and I, I thank you for that. And I'm going to add an example of that that I saw. And as an administrator, it's always interesting because we are going into classrooms and, and it's always an experience when we you know walk into that door we don't know what we're going to see and we don't know how much things are just for show i mean i'm being honest or if it's because this is what genuinely happens and it had a great great example of dei at work where a teacher an english teacher was going over a text from sojourner truth and it was in our curriculum, in our current curriculum that's being used. It wasn't a supplement, it was part of that. What he did, which was fantastic, was really tie that into intersectionality of identities. And the students who are predominantly um, Hispanic, Latinx, are trying to find themselves in this text from a black woman, right? 
And the experience became about family. So there was a tie-in, not just to the text, but also the history and who Sojourner Truth was and the family that uh, was there that was taken away. And she lost so many of her children and, and all that. And then it became conversation about family. So it was really tying it into something the students could understand. Students could totally understand family and the family unit. And knowing that Hispanic and Latinx families are, are largely collectivistic and family is a huge thing, what a great way to tie that in. And then it was also about, well, let's talk about intersectionality. Well, how many of you would identify as this? Or he gave certain prompts so that the students can say, oh, I'm, I'm Hispanic or I'm a, I'm a female student, or what do we all have in common? We're all eighth grade students. And it's one of those things that allowed the students, to your point, Stephanie, to think about the process and, and that metacognition of thinking about the way that they're thinking and not just answer questions for the sake of it. They were then pursuing opportunities to find commonalities with each other. And then when they had something different, it was a conversation point. One particular student, is Filipino in that classroom. And it became a topic of conversation. And it was like, well, that, that student understands family. That student understands a different language and understands that piece, right? So there's commonality, even though it's quote unquote different, no, we still have common ground. So now the intersections are happening and the students are seeing that along with the visual that was on the board about intersectionality I thought it was fantastic because you're taking a text that's within the curriculum and you're really making this about the DEI work. The students did the heavy lifting in this in this um, activity and just really allowed for those natural organic conversations. They were all in groups and collaborating. I just thought it was a fantastic opportunity for the students to do the work, the students to make those connections and really to see this brought forward. And then of course, lessons to come were, um, you know, all building upon that. And I was all using our current curriculum, nothing that had to be brought in from outside or created, it was all there. So it was, um, it was great. So I want to have one last piece because we're, we're in a new school year, 22-23, jumping in after two of the most interesting years an educator could ever experience. Mariana, uh, final question. What you know, what do we look forward to as DEI? How will you plan to open this school year? What do you think has to happen in Santa Maria for this DEI work to continue? Oh, so a lot of loaded questions there. <laughs> um, I, I will say that I'm, I'm going to start my school year off a similar way that I do every year. And that is really putting in the work to get to know my students and their families. Um, that means co-constructing routines in the classroom, co-constructing rules or guidelines of the classroom, really talking about how we are a community and why we are here in the first place. And what, what do we want to get out of this and giving the students the opportunity to say that. Um, I, for the first four to six weeks, I'm kind of sitting back and letting them tell me majority of the, of the day I'm letting them tell me what they think and what they want to see um, because that's important to know if you're going to move forward as a community. Um, so that's definitely how I'm going to start the school year. Something that I'm going to add that I haven't done before is um, a community walk. So walking around the community and um, seeing 
the families and stopping to talk and asking them a few questions um, and just letting them know, like, I am here for you. This is, I am a servant to the public. Like, that is what I went into this field to do. Tell me what you need. How can we collaborate? Um, so that's kind of taking it a step further, but I'm really excited to do that. I'm looking forward to it. Um, and then as far as bringing more DEI work to Santa Maria Bonita, uh, like I said, I think that it needs to be implemented at a systemic level. We, we have to really take the time, the same way that we are examining the language that we use and the words that come out, out of our mouth, how we're examining our own mindset, we have to examine the policies um, of the district. We have to examine the grading policies, the tests that are being implemented, um, what we're doing with that data. All of that has to be looked at as well. And it might sound overwhelming, but for many years to come, we have to do that. Um, and, and as we chip away at it a little bit at a time, we're going to have better outcomes. We're going to heal from the traumas that we've created within ourselves and within our students. Um, it, it's only for the betterment of the future. So I look forward to that. Thank you, Mariana. And, and I love the idea of that community walk and getting students involved. And you mentioned you were going to have some of our youngest learners at SMBSD. So I think it's a great start to their education. Uh, Mariana, thank you so much for all of your contributions. Thank you for joining us in this episode. And uh, we look forward to hearing some amazing things in uh, future episodes. Thank you, Mariana. So Mandy, uh, same deal. How, looking ahead to next year, what do you now, because you mentioned yourself as a newer teacher, right? So you, you have your own, I'm sure, ambitions and you're like, oh man, I want to try some, so many different things out. Um, what about for you? What, how do you plan to open next year with that DEI lens and uh, what needs to happen district-wide? Yeah, I loved how Mediana brought in the classroom ideas and bringing DEI into the classroom. And when I look, when I'm listening to the, this question, I just was thinking about my staff and and all the conversations that we're having back to school talk, what I talked about in the last episode, but all the conversations that we're having about kids um, in our leadership meetings, in our culture and climate meetings, with coaches, with admin, um, all the all the conversations that are happening about students and about things that we're bringing to our site in our district are we looking at that from a dei lens do we have a dei champion in the room um my hope is that as we go into next year that we have a dei champion from every site so that we can ensure that at least every site has that um but even even more would be better because not everyone can be on every committee committee um that that takes place in our district so I just think it's really important as we go in that that we have that lens. Are we thinking about students first? Are we thinking about our community first? Um, and so I'm looking forward to that as we go into this year. And I love something that Mariana has shared with us in our cohort in the past about how this is generational work. It can be hard in cohort meetings to feel like, okay, we got to solve these problems. We this year is the year we're going to change everything. Every kid, um, you know, is going to be reading at grade level. Every kid is going to feel safe and welcome in Santa Maria. It, it might not be one year. It might not be five years. It might not be this generation. This is work that's happening um, for generations to come. And Mariana always reminds us of that in our in our DEI cohort meetings. So just having the patience as we go into the year as well. 
That's a great way of putting that, Mandy. I mean, it, it's true, right? It's that delicate balance of the urgency that this work has to, you know, happen, but also understanding that it's generational. I mean, when you have a six-year-old who has that wherewithal, you want to jump on that and say, yes, you're the future champion <laughs> we need. Um, but knowing that down the road, it's it's really just kind of working that in and getting her to understand who she is in the grand scheme of things. So she's a champion in her own right and spreading that word and spreading that knowledge so that um, whether it be by us or by other means, that message is still getting across. So great, great point. Mandy, thank you so much for your contributions to the, to the episodes. And we look forward to hearing from what happens in, in your classrooms as well. So thank you. Thank and you. Uh, Stephanie, absolutely, Stephanie. All what right. do you see moving forward? Um, I, I love the beginning of the school year. So I just am really excited. Like, you know, Mariana was talking about getting to know my students and their families and listening, taking the time to listen, right? And building, building those relationships. I always work with my students every year to create our, our classroom expectations so that they have the ownership of it. I work really hard in those first four to six weeks of the school year to create such a strong community within our classroom. And I want to ensure that that extends to um, my grade level and to the, the school because I will be at a new school site. I'm going to live in this, this year or this coming year, that support that you can lend to each other if you really are looking at it through an asset-based lens, um, just like Mariana was saying, it just brings so much joy, right? It just makes it so that you're happy to be at school and the kids are happy to be at school. And, and what ends up happening is that the students take so much ownership over their school experience that I really do get to kind of step back and watch it all work beautifully as they support each other and um, they kind of are able to run the classroom, right? When you give, when you acknowledge who they are, what the assets are that they and their families bring to the classroom, then um, yeah, they really find their own strength and power in in the educational experience. And then you do have those future champions, right? Because you're having those conversations and you're including the intersectionality. And so I'm just really hoping to, in this next school year, to kind of like broaden the net a little bit, I guess, you know? Um, hoping for more of that community feel in a broader, a broader sense. And um, Mandy, it's so, it's so funny that you commented about how Mariana is so good about reminding us, right? That this is, we're in it for the long haul and it's gonna continue long after we are gone because it can feel so urgent, right? Because we see the effects we see the effects in those little faces that we see every day, or we see the effects when we're sitting down with families 
um, in meetings and in conferences, we see the effects of of the policies that are in place and how, you know, is it really equitable? Are are we supporting the students and the families the way that they deserve to be supported? You know, because yeah, many of us as teachers, we come into this profession because we are here to be public servants. I am here to provide a service to the community and it will be good in the years to come, right? As much as we wanna fix it immediately, um, it takes time and and we have to examine and, and take a look. Um, I think it's Desmond Tutu talks about pulling the children out of the river, right? You have to go upstream to look at why these children are drowning in the river in the first place. You cannot spend all of your time and energy pulling these drowning children out of the river if you are not willing to go upstream and take a look at the system. Um, and so, yeah, it's way more impactful and effective if we take a look at the river upstream and can make the changes so that it is it is equitable and inclusive. I think Stephanie, it's a great analogy and it's a great point to make. Um, personally, I see some of the the need for the champions at every site is certainly something that is important to me. And then even having admin support. So it's important that not only we have champions at each site, but also that administrative support just so that you know this is very vulnerable work as well and people are really putting themselves out there and they're opening themselves up in ways they may not have imagined and they need to feel supported they need to feel encouraged and feel like it's okay to feel what you feel and to interpret the way interpret things the way that you are because we have people by your side who will be there along the way and and having administrators in that capacity will be hugely helpful um, so that's something for me that I would want to see moving forward uh, in the next year. And, you know, with a new superintendent coming in, it's even more important because a lot of that work uh, will be driven and decided by uh, a new administration. So it's, it's making sure that the impact of DEI to this point is understood and the intentions and the vision so that superintendent can come in and, and decide how, um, how he will foster uh, and facilitate success moving forward. So that for me is a, is a big key driver. And really the last thing I wanna do is open it up to our audience. Those of you that are listening, and we wanna thank you once again, you could be doing anything else in the world right now, but you listen to us and these couple of episodes regarding diversity, equity, and inclusion at Santa Maria Bonita School District. So really the question becomes, what is your role in supporting diversity, equity, and inclusion in Santa Maria. Remember, it doesn't have to be in an official capacity, but your involvement is vital. So what's your role in supporting that? Think about that. If you have a champion at your site, we know that Alvin, Libin, Jimenez, we know that Tommy Coons has champions as well as other sites. So please seek out the DEI champion. If not, you can reach out to any of us um that have been on these episodes or your administrator to find out who it is you can link arms with to come alongside and do this very very important work so we want to thank you again 
And until the next time you hear from us, have a good one. Thank you. Take care.